0: We're continuing today in the series that we've just simply called, I've Been Wondering. Considering some of the questions that we reflect on ourselves and those around us might be asking in life. And I would say this, one one of the questions I am asked most commonly by individuals in in one form or another is simply the question, how do I determine God's will in my life? And it could be the question asked, could be about a choosing a vocation or a job opportunity they have, it might be about a relocation opportunity, finding a spouse or a ministry role. And I think as we ask those kind of questions, we wonder at times why God's guidance doesn't seem clear to us. So, how are we to discern God's will in our lives? I want to just start by observing. That scripture doesn't really give us kind of a precise formula for receiving spiritual guidance from God. That there's nothing in scripture that says, follow these six steps and and you'll discern God's leading. But rather, as we go through scripture as a whole, we can pull from it some broad principles that guide us in responding to that kind of question. Because there are principles from scripture that can assist us in discerning God's will in our lives. And so today, we're going to look at eight of them together. Eight principles. I know it sounds like a lot, but we're up to it, aren't we? All right. And understand this. We're not looking at a formula in this, but just some guiding principle from God's Word. But before we even get to that, can can we do an exercise together? Will will you do this? Will, Will you, in just your mind, will you pick a key decision maybe that you've had to make recently? Maybe it's been kind of a fork in the road decision. Or, or perhaps pick a key decision that, that currently is still in front of you that you're looking at making. It might be some matter in your own life about finances or a work relation or, or other relationships. Because okay, I want you to do that. Just bring that to the forefront of your mind because I, I want you to hear this message, not just kind of as detached principles, but as related kind of specifically to our lives. Even these situations, how you walk. Because really, if you can't relate these truths to daily life, they'll just kind of remain distant spiritual principles, right? So do we do this, pick a decision if you would, and when you have it in your mind, turn to the person next to you and say, got it, all right? I'll give you a few seconds to do that. Okay. Okay. So let's consider, how do we discern God's will in those kind of situations? That's right there before you. Eight principles for discernment we're going to look at. And we'll walk through them, each of them, fairly quickly. First principle, let's start here. Uh, One author put it this way. God's primary will for my life is not the circumstances I inhabit. It's the person I become. Now, I want you to remember these, so let's read this together. We'll read each one. Read it with me. God's primary will for my life is not the circumstances I inhabit, it's the person I become. Okay, to to put that another way, God's primary will for your life is is not what job you take, it's not what city you live in, it's not whether you get married or not, or even which house you buy. God's primary will for your life is that you increasingly enjoy Him and honor Him and increasingly reflect by the power of the Spirit, Christ who is within you. And, and, and so we ask the kind of questions like this. Okay, God, so, so what is your will for my life, Father? And what would Scripture say to that? Well, let's hear some of the writings from Scripture. God, what is your will for my life? Listen to 1 Thessalonians, Paul words here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And friends, this is the word of God. And, and Paul wrote, For this is the will of God, your sanctification... Sanctification, kind of a thick theological term, it, it means to be set apart, to be made holy, which sounds even scarier, but literally that means to be in line with God's purposes for your life because of who you are in Christ, increasingly reflecting Christ's likeness. Father, what you will for my life, it's this, my child, your sanctification. Or, or listen to how Peter put it. This is in First Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Peter wrote, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should, be, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You want to know what God's will is for your life? You pray, Father, what would you seek me to do? I'd really like to, you to know, put to silence these words of the foolish people. By the way you live, by the way you live. Now, I just want to stay on this for, for a moment because I think we can hear all this. And, and you might even respond kind of in your mind to me. What I'm saying here is, right, absolutely, got it. But then right, come right back and ask, okay, but push that stuff aside. Really, God, what job do you want me to take? And, and we ask the question, hey, does God want to give a specific guidance on those kind of secondary matters in your life? And at times, perhaps he does. And and we're really looking today at how we discern how he is guiding us in those situations. But but I think we often come to those kind of decisions with the wrong perspective of what God's will looks like in our lives. Because I, I, I believe God, from his word, I believe God gives us far more freedom, really independence to a degree, than we realize in many of the life choices that we make. And and let me expand on that by by moving to our second principle. Here's our second principle. God's will for my life looks more like a garden than a railroad track. Read it before you understand it. Let's read it together. God's will for my life looks more like a garden than a railroad track. And I wanna spend a chunk of time on this because I think it's that important. I think there are really kind of two broad, different images that that I, as I talk with people, I think they have about God's will in our lives. I think one picture we at times have of how God seeks to guide us is that life, God's will in our life is like a railroad track. Meaning, if it's like that, meaning God has one specific place for you always to be. He has one specific location for you to work in, one specific job. He wants you to have one specific city he wants you to live in, one specific spouse for for you to marry. And, and, And here's the thing with that kind of perspective. If then, if God's will for you is like a railroad track, that then once you make a wrong decision and get off that track, you're essentially always out of his perfect will for your life. You've missed the best path for your life. I mean, just for example, if, if God's specific will for you is to live, for you to live in Edmonton, but you choose and live in Winnipeg, then think about it. You'll have the wrong job in Winnipeg. You'll, you'll be going to the wrong church. You'll have the wrong house in Winnipeg. You will definitely have the wrong climate in Winnipeg. because you're supposed to be in Edmonton. So a question is, does Scripture seem to indicate to us that God's will for our lives in in specific decisions is like that railroad track? Meaning that there's typically just kind of one right choice. You're either on the track if you make that one right choice God has for you in this decision, or you're off it. Is that what Scripture tells us? And I know that our questions about this, even my own, come out of our desire to be led by God. And in really our desire is we read through biblical accounts and we read of God speaking to individuals in Scripture, right? We, we read these stories of God speaking to Job in the whirlwind. Or of God speaking to Moses in a fiery bush. Or, or God giving audible direction, audibly speaking to Samuel in the darkness of the night. And then we read those stories, and, and we tend to assume that the Bible is presenting that as kind of the normal daily experience of all who follow God. But I think we should ask, is that? For example, in his book, Gospel and Wisdom, Graham Goldsworthy wrote this. Every case of special guidance given to individuals in the Bible has to do with that person's place in the outworking of God's saving purposes. Then he continues. There are no instances in the Bible in which God gives specific and special guidance to the ordinary believing Israelite or Christian in the details of their personal existence. Hmm. That that should perhaps, friends, kind of temper our expectation that that God's direct guidance to us will come like a railroad track. Rather, I think as we read through Scripture as a whole, I think the image we have from Scripture is is that God's will for our lives is, it's more like a garden. Okay, meaning what by that? Well, Well, let's think of the story of the Garden of Eden. And, and the story of Adam and Eve coming in there as in the book of Genesis. And, and we know in that garden that God gave them guidance about his specific will for their lives. Remember what he said in Genesis 1? God said to them, this is what I want for you. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God, what's your will for my life? There it is, right right there. Now, God did give them boundaries as they lived and worked with the garden of Creation. And because God said in Genesis 3, if you remember in the story, God said to them, but that fruit, the fruit of that tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat from that. That's the boundary for you. So there was God's will for them. So, so we kind of reflect on that and think, if Adam and Eve had then come to God and said, God, so should we build our home in the garden over there or should it be over here? We could kind of imagine that, that God would say to them, Build it wherever you want. I've given you the guidance in the garden. I've given you the boundaries by which I want you to live. You know my will. Have freedom within living within that will. So let's bring that to us. Friends, I think in a similar way, Scripture seems to indicate to us that God would often guide us similarly in our lives. I mean, if, for example, I, I pray, Father... Should I take job A or or job B? I mean, from Scripture, typically, God would respond, well, if both allow you to live out the following I have called you to in following me, If, if they both allow you to live in obedience and honoring of me, choose whichever you wish. I'll be with you if you take job A or job B. I will use you to my glory wherever you go. I am with you. Because I think scripture tells us that God's will for our life is more like living in that kind of garden than it is following a single railroad track. And I think that leads to a third principle we lead, see in scripture. I mean, because some would suggest that, that God has already given us all the guidance we need for this life in scripture. And, and they, they say that therefore, God rarely directs us kind of individually, personally in life, uh, apart from scripture. Now, now we hear that idea, and so we kind of rightly ask the question, where do we even get the idea that God wants to or will guide or instruct us, beyond kind of the general guidance and commands we receive in scripture? Where do we get that idea? And, and we'd say that I believe, well, scripture itself gives us that indication. Because when we read through the writings in the New Testament, we find it consistently speaking of, for one, the Holy Spirit working within followers of Christ, his indwelling presence, right? I mean, for salvation, for for assurance of salvation, for growth in Christian maturity. But also you read through the New Testament, and again, it refers to this idea of and reality of the leading of the Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit within us. For, for example, let, let's look at Jesus. L- look at these two texts, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. This is what we read. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And, and now that word led there, it's, the original Greek word is anago. Want to just say that with me? Anago. It's actually a nautical term. It means to set sail, kind of to, to launch out, to put to sea. That, that's the image of that term. To set out, to set sail with the Spirit. Now, added to that, listen to what Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Rome. This is in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Paul wrote, all who are led by the Spirit, anago, again, by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. So they are led by the Spirit in similar way to how Jesus was led by the Spirit. So we read even that, we could go on, but Scripture seems to give this indication that we have this capacity to receive guidance to be led by, set sail with the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So again, we ask, so how do we receive that guidance from the Spirit? Well, let's put it this way. Scripture seems to link our ability to receive this kind of guidance with, with really the development of a spiritual sensitivity. In other words, this is what I'd say our third principle is. The prerequisite for receiving divine guidance is not the quest for messages, but the quest for holiness. Let's read that together. The prerequisite for receiving divine guidance is not the quest for messages, but the quest for holiness. The quest for holiness... So so put it in another way, that, that means that really that the receiving of spiritual guidance in our lives is the product not so much of kind of just mystical ecstatic heights as much as it's a product of spiritual depth, of knowing Christ increasingly. Because God guides us, the primary way he wants to guide us is by bringing our hearts and minds into harmony or sympathy with his own heart and mind. So that when we look at a situation we're walking through in life, we can increasingly discern, we we could say even we intuit which pathway would likely most line up with the character and purposes of God, what we know from Scripture. It's not as much about just seeking to get a single message as to grow in holiness. Okay, and that leads to a fourth principle for us. Therefore, here's the principle. We need to learn to recognize the Lord's voice. Say it with me. Learn to recognize the Lord's voice. And sometimes I know this, and sometimes in people's life, in your your life, in my my life, it's, it's possible for God to be speaking, not necessarily audibly. And for myself, I have never heard an audible voice from God, that's just me. But it's possible for God to be really kind of moving, prompting our hearts and minds And we don't recognize it's God that is leading or prompting us. You want an example of that in scripture? I mean, a powerful picture is of the apostle Paul before he encountered Jesus. And and remember what took place here. There is Paul, and it says this about Paul before he had come to Christ. A very devoted, very religious man. In Acts 3, it says this. Saul was ravaging the church Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Great guy. Ravaging the church. Now, this understand this about Saul. Saul knew the scriptures, the Old Testament writings, backwards and forwards. In fact, he would have been in the program that beginning at the age five, from age five to age ten, he would have begun memorizing, even then, entire books of scripture. Entire books. He later trained under the great rabbi Gamaliel, now, we might not know that name, but studying under Gamaliel was like studying under Hox- at Oxford or Harvard today, that, that kind of status. So he knew scripture. He knew what was going on. But here's Saul, Acts 9.1, it says of him, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And we know what took place. He heads from Jerusalem to Damascus. And on that pathway, he's blinded by a light. And hears a voice calling out to him. And this intriguing encounter, it goes like this in verse 5 of Acts 9. And Saul said to this voice, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. (laughs) Love that line. (laughs) Because here's the point. Simply this. Like Saul in this situation, friends, it is possible for God to speak to people without them recognizing it's his voice, like with Saul on Damascus Road. Because you and I, we need to learn how to recognize God's voice in our life, his leadings in our lives. And the good thing is we can do it. And in fact, Jesus put it this way as he spoke of his followers, including us, John 10, 27. Jesus' words. Jesus said my sheep hear my voice I know them and what do they do they, they follow me they hear my voice I know them and they follow me and so we asked the question okay so if that's the picture Jesus uses how does a sheep come to know the voice of their shepherd the short answer a lot of time together right a- experience It's the same process by which a child over months or years comes to just know the voice of their father or mother. A a sheep spends time with the shepherd. They're in his presence. They hear him speak. And day after day, gradually, they learn to discern, that's my master's voice. uh, uh, That's what they say. (laughs) And because they know it, they trust him, can be guided by him. I share this, friends, because here's the thing. Do you want to be led by God? Do you want discernment in a situation? There is no shortcut for this. You and I must come to know our shepherd if we want to know our shepherd's voice in our life. And the only thing that does that is time with him. When my future wife, Julie, and I were first dating, she actually lived in the home of her sister, And it was always kind of intriguing when I'd call the house, because I never knew which one of them I got. And they liked playing this game with me, which I didn't really enjoy. (laughs) So every time I called them, it was a lot of hesitance, like some proof texts I want to give them, like, who are you really in this? But now, after decades of being married, it's not a difficulty. I know my wife's voice because of time together, of listening together, of journeying through life together, and it is the same with hearing the voice of God, friends. It's time spent with him, listening to him in his word, understanding his ways, praying to him. We need to learn to recognize the Lord's voice because here's the thing, the time for learning to recognize God's voice is not when you're in that fork in the road. It's in the months, years leading up to that point And so a fifth principle. Let's move to a fifth principle. I mean, in your life at at crossroads, there's Jesus Christ standing before you, inviting you, will you trust me in this? So when you are seeking a leading from Christ, here's the fifth principle. Then follow Christ's revealed will. Can you read it with me? Follow Christ's revealed will. A, a, A fifth principle is learning to discern God's voice in your life is choosing to follow what Christ has already revealed to you. Because if we don't respond in obedience to God's already revealed will in Scripture, we'll be insensitive to his other leadings in our lives. We'll kind of be callous to it. And so really, and I speak to this from personal experience, one of the first steps in becoming the kind of person that that can begin to discern God's voice, one of the first steps is just a difficult one. It is a hard one. It really, to some degree, it's laborious. It is effortful. Although the Spirit of God himself gives us strength as we seek to do it. And it's simply this. It is to resolve and to re-resolve each day as things come to our mind. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I I will follow Christ's guidance. I'll do God's will. I'll do his will. Here's the thing. And I, I from personal experience, it is so easy to say, I, I'm trusting Christ. But we need to ask, are are we truly? I, am I truly? Because sometimes even my sometimes I forget it, sometimes I get off track in this. and And then when the Spirit brings it to mind, I need to resolve again, I will follow Christ's willingness that he's already revealed to me. And just in my own prayer time, I was praying. But just that, which I just do regularly. Father, is there an area in my life where, where I'm really rejecting or resisting your leadership or guidance of me? And, and then just I just wait and quiet for a moment and just reflect on that. And it didn't take long. Some clear things came to mind, in, including the kind of certain attitudes, thoughts, and, and just I had the sense very clearly, and I, I know those are in our God. I know those don't honor God. And, and it's that moment when we ask those two questions. Okay, what is God saying to me? And then the hard one. What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? So even for me, and then that moment, there's this moment of potentially, this moment of struggle. Am, am I going to let go of this stuff? Because there's a sense in which in the flesh, I don't want to let go of this stuff. I'm going to get to nurse it a little bit longer in, in all of it. So, so I just wrote those things down and, and said, Father, just prayed, Father, I, I want to follow you in these things. And, and then I came to a place of saying, okay, I, I will let this go. I, I will seek to do your will in this by your spirit's power. And then I didn't ask for it, but some other stuff came to mind. <laughs> An area of pride, just very clear, uh, that came to me. And just the clear awareness, you know what, I need to let go of that. And, and just needed to, to, to pray, Father, by your power within me, we, I want to clean this up in my life. Because I want us to be aware of this reality. If I'm seeking to discern God's will in in one area of my life while knowingly and essentially bluntly rejecting his clear revealed will in another area of my life, I, I shouldn't be surprised if I don't feel clear direction from him. And again, look at Saul in this. What an example. I mean, what, what's really amazing is that while Saul literally was ravaging the church, literally dragging men and women like us out of their homes to prison, he believed he was fully on the railroad track following God's will, fully surrendered to God in this. It wasn't until he had that encounter, he began to, had to come to the point of confessing and asking for Jesus' mercy. Because a fifth principle, friends, in discerning God's leading in your life, It is for you to resolve and re-resolve every day as God brings it to your heart or mind. I I will follow Christ's revealed will. What what he's laid out for me, by the power of the Spirit, I'll seek to do that. And so a sixth principle. Let's call it a sixth principle. And friends, tied to the previous, as a general rule, as as a general rule, The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God primarily to transform our mind by the Spirit. And very often, at critical points of decision, the kind of critical crossroads in our life, expect that God will often use Scripture to guide you. I mean, this is one of the reasons why memorizing Scripture, just having it right there in our minds, is such a mind transforming, life transforming thing. It's not a legalistic thing. You don't get brownie points with God for memorizing Scripture but it's a way of renewing your mind, being ready to hear from God in this. And again, if you want a great example of this, look at Jesus himself. Jesus out in the wilderness, tempted by the enemy himself. And what is his primary defense? To discern, is what what he is inviting me to really the way I should go? He responds every time with the word of God. Scripture, to guide against and battle himself in this temptation Because here's the sixth principle. Friends, if you want to discern, test all decisions with God's word. Let's read it together. Test all decisions with God's word. Because this word is our final rule for faith and action. I mean, so if you believe that the, if you believe in your life that the spirit is leading you to take a step or, or move in a direction that clearly contradicts God's word, be very clear, that's not the spirit leading you. Look to God's word to discern. I can say from my own journey in life in this, that, that often when I'm faced with a critical decision or a matter of discern in my life, often as I'm reading scripture, God will bring forward kind of one verse or a passage of scripture that seeks, I've read it many times, but it just seeks to jump out and address the situation I'm walking in. You ever experienced that? I mean, that's one of the ways this word is living and active. We can come again and again to a passage, but God, by his grace, through his spirit, will speak to us through a word, and the words on the page don't change, but its meaning, its implication for us becomes pivotal in that situation. Now, now, can using scripture that way lead to abuse? Absolutely. Let's just (laughs) acknowledge that. You know, uh, the old classic example is a guy who... Just wanted to be led by scripture, so he just flipped through scripture, kind of blindly pointed to a text, and he read to begin with in Matthew 27.5. What do you want me to do? Matthew 27.5, Judas went out and hanged himself. Oh, okay, so he, he did it again. Flipped through the scripture, kind of comes to point, points into another verse. He comes to Luke 10.37, Jesus said, go and do likewise. <laughs> scripture can be abused. It can't. That's why the next principle is so important. Our seventh principle is this, echoed many places in Scripture. For example, in Proverbs 15, 22, which says these words, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. This is the seventh principle. Don't discern alone. <laughs> to put it another way, discern in Christian community, because friends, God typically leads us within the community of Christ. So when you come to a significant point of discernment or need in your life, a question in your life on that way, where you're wondering which way to head, look for a few other trusted followers of Jesus to kind of listen with you and say, boy, am I making sense in this? Does this sound of God in my life? I've shared this with you, I know, before. But, but for, for me, I just saw this so vividly modeled in the life of my father. Because when dad had kind of those crossroad moments, and he'd share it with us in life, key decisions about work or other matters in life, that there were three men particularly that we all knew he went to to co-discern with, uh, Walt, Don, and Kevin. And, and these men, all deep devotion to Christ. And they knew dad well, they loved Jesus deeply. And so daddy, if he had a decision, he wouldn't just make it on his own, but he'd come to them and say, does this sound like God? Wisdom in this. And I'll tell you, just watching dad's example, I think my own kids would look at my life and be able to say, well, this pattern's been followed by me. They'd be able to identify a few individuals in my life that in key matters of life, they know I would go to and say, boy, am, am I making sense in this? Does this feel of God? Am I missing God's will in some way in this part of my life? What it really is, is just life on life, friends, that we talk about often. So I'd really challenge you today who would that be for you? Who knows you well enough and is deeply devoted to Christ enough where you would trust them with speaking into your life? Every one of us needs someone. Because I'll tell you, a pattern I have seen again and again as a pastor is that when people begin to drift off of what God's will truly is for their life, when they start to even get entangled in sin, one of the first things they do is they isolate themselves. It's almost uncanny. When I was ministering in another city, I had a married friend, I'll just call him Dave. He got into a relationship that really, at the best, skirted uh, along the edges of inappropriateness. And so several of our friends went to him in love and said, you know, you need to be aware of this, back away from this, and his response was, he started avoiding us. He wouldn't return calls. So eventually, as that relationship continued on, we went to his house knowing he was home. He wouldn't answer the door. And eventually what happened, you can guess, his marriage imploded, and, and two devastated families were devastated in the situation. And, and really, it wasn't shocking because he isolated himself from loving Christian community. So again, let me ask you in this. Who are the godly, trusted friends who can give you feedback when you need it, who can help you discern God's will in your life. Because the seventh principle is do not discern alone. Find co-discerners in Christian community. And then just lastly, the eighth principle. Kind of over all this. I mean, I know that authentic concern in discerning is, okay, what if I miss out on what God wants me to do? What, What if I follow the wrong path and I'm seeking to follow him? Can I give you an encouragement? Here's the eighth principle. Rest in God's providence. Will you read it with me? Rest in God's providence. Why can we rest in this? Well, listen to Paul again, what he wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Know this. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, many sisters. Be encouraged, friend. You know what God's plan is for you if you put your faith in Christ? He's predestined that you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus as you join with him on this journey. He rest in that reality. So as you journey through life, here's some principles to guide you. It's a lot to carry, I know, a lot to consider in all this. But the good news is we have a God who loves us, who seeks to guide us. Do you wonder how deeply he loves you? Well then, let's come to the table. And be reminded of these words. You know what the apostle Paul wrote at this table? He, he said this, is a cup of blessing that we bless not participation in, the Greek word is koinonia, is this not fellowship in the blood of Christ? And then Paul said this in scripture, is the bread that we break not participation in, koinonia again, in fellowship in the body of Christ? Do you long to be ministered to by Jesus? Boy, come to the table. Let's receive the bread in faith and the cup in faith. If your heart is for Jesus, I invite you to receive. If you're here today and you're not yet at that point, there's no embarrassment in passing these elements by. But above all, friends, this is what we're about. Christ himself who seeks to lead us. Amen? So let me pray, and then we'll come to the table together. And Father... I can only imagine the decisions that are in the forefronts of the minds of my brothers and sisters here. And so we would pray, would you guide us as we seek to follow you? As we seek to have wisdom, lead us in your pathways and guide us in resting in your love. And I pray even now, whatever we're walking through in life, as we come to this bread and cup, we would enjoy the reality that in a spiritual sense, a mystical sense beyond our understanding, as Paul said, this is koinonia in the body and blood of Jesus. For that we give you thanks in his name, and we come now again to receive. And all God's people again say, amen.